adventure, nightlife, entertainment. It's all waiting for you in the region of Richmond, Virginia. Journey through nature's expansive playground where the beauty speaks for itself. Feast on elevated local dining. Relive Virginia's rich history at Richmond's exquisite museums. Whether you're into sports, theater, music, amusement parks, or whitewater rafting on the James River, there's something for everyone in the Richmond region. The best part? You can get there on a tank of gas or less. What are you waiting for? Start planning your getaway. Go to visitrichmondva.com. As part of our continuing coverage of the NFL, it's time for Ian's weekly visit with NFL Films' Greg Cosell. Brought to you by Two Beers and Seattle Cider Company. On your home for the 12th man in the NFL. Sports Radio 93.3, KJR-FM. All right, with that, here we go. We check in with our good friend, Greg Cosell, ESPN matchup show and NFL Films, the film guru of all things National Football League as we get ready for the Seahawks, Detroit Lions coming up this week. My friend, how are you? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. We, uh, we're, we're busy. We've got a lot of baseball to talk about here in Seattle. You know, the Mariners are on the verge of making the playoffs for the first time. Wait for it, Greg. In 21 years. What were really? you doing 21 years ago, Greg? No, I've been following a little more the National League because being in Philadelphia where the sure. Phillies are totally imploding and can't score a run. <laughs> I know, so Kevin I've been knows a that. More, I've been a little more conscious of that, so I've, I've not been following the Seahawks. Although I have noticed in the American League, which is not being talked about because they're a bad team, and he missed seven weeks. But Mike Trout has 39 home runs, and he missed seven weeks. Uh, it's insane, isn't it? He's I, He's good at baseball. That's what I hear. Really good at baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Judge. I mean, that's an incredible story. And obviously, I, I know all about that, you know, being on the East Coast. But but Trout missed seven weeks. It's it's insane. Um, all right, let's get to um, – I'll, I'll get to the Lions in a minute. They've got a couple key injuries, which we'll talk, yeah. touch in on on the offensive side of the football. Before we get to the Lions, we, we have problems to solve with the Seattle Seahawks. And and they're twofold. On the offense, uh, the, defense, the offense can't score in the second half, but we'll get to that in a second. Defensively, we're confused here, Greg, because – not only can they not stop the run, what we thought we were going to see and we were told and they practiced and we watched during training camp and OTAs and mini camps in terms of a defensive front, uh, it doesn't seem to be coming to fruition either. It looks like they've kind of abandoned what they were going to do with a 5-2 um, or 3-4, well, I guess, and whatever, however we want to phrase it, but that front is different. At least. I don't think they've abandoned it. I, okay. think, I think their base front is still a 5-2. What was interesting this past week, and maybe this is why the conversation has occurred, is because they ended up playing a lot of nickel this week to mm-hmm. base personnel. Now, that could have been specific to the Falcons because Kyle Pitts is not a traditional tight end. So, But their base front is still a 5-2 with Barton and Brooks essentially stacked players, and the edge players are Nowusu, Taylor, uh, Maffey gets snaps, uh, Johnson gets snaps. Right. But they still essentially, as their base front, play a 5-2. But this, as I said, they chose to go nickel quite a bit. uh, Cordero Patterson had eight rushes for 93 yards versus the Seahawks nickel. Um, Eight of those 17 runs, you know, came uh, versus uh, nickel, you know, as I said. And seven of those runs came out of base offensive personnel versus nickel. So they chose to play nickel at times two base personnel and they got a little bit exposed. 
what are you seeing with that front uh, and, and just the personnel and what's happening in the sense of, you know, the, the most simplistic thing I can see and say, and, and I'll let you expand on this, is it feels as if, especially Daryl Taylor, having a really hard time setting the edge, getting off blocks, teams are taking advantage of that more so on the edge than, than should be mm-hmm. happening. But, you know, and then I'd say the linebackers aren't doing a great job getting off blocks either and maybe taking some bad angles. But what are you seeing? What, what, what are the big issues you're seeing with that defense? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it sounds like from the way we've talked through this season that, that Taylor has become a little bit of a whipping boy, and I'm not here to tell you he right. played great. But I think it's an oversimplification to say that Taylor is the reason for the poor run defense. And that's why we have you on, Greg Cosell. Yeah, and that's I why mean, we have you on here. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm always a believer. Look, normally th- this past week, let's look at this past week in particular. Okay. You know, obviously Patterson had 17 for 41 and he had some big runs. So you have to look at each big run as a separate entity. We know that the, that you can't give those up, but you can't just make a blanket statement and say that one guy is responsible for all those big runs because that's not the case at all. Um, You know, so, some of those runs, you hit it right on the head. You know, I think quite honestly that at times Brooks and, and Barden have struggled a bit. I mean, Patterson had a 17-yard touchdown run, which was actually a really well-designed concept. It was a well-schemed weak side run, and they had wind-back element by the fullback, and that influenced Barton, who therefore did not go into the gap he needed to get into because he read the wind-back action by the fullback. And I don't know how they're taught. A lot of teams coach a a a play-side linebacker to follow the fullback. And maybe maybe the, uh, you know, because coaches know what other coaches do. So it's very possible the Falcons knew that that's how it's coached in Seattle. So therefore they use the fullback as an influence player because Barton clearly stepped outside of where he, he should have been on a weak side run because he was going with the fullback. So, you know, you have to look at each play as an individual play as opposed to, okay, one guy's bad. So, I, I mean, I think there's, there's blame to go all around. Um, you know, a lot of the runs this week were inside. They weren't They weren't a function of Taylor not setting an edge. So, you know, you have to look at that as well. But you're right. They've not stopped the run. It's just it's been a it's been an interesting dynamic because, you know, last year we just kind of think and you're right with Taylor. Let me go take a step back with Taylor. I agree. He has become the easiest target for a defensive struggle. Um, and part of that reason, just so you know, the context and this isn't something that you concern yourself with, Greg, but just so our listeners know why. We had heard from coaches and players, but specifically coaches and players, uh, a lot of coaches all summer and even preseason and even in back in the spring, Daryl Taylor was the guy that was going to take this big next step. He was the right. guy that was going to take that step. And so I think our expectations were higher for him than, say, they were for for anybody else in that defense. Yeah, and, and that could still happen, by the way. They played three games. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so maybe that's the reason he becomes sort of the easy whipping boy, as I said. But I think, you know, I think that each game is a separate entity. As I said, chose to play this game a certain way. Um, You know, the Lions this week will come out and run the ball, even without Swift, who looks like he will not be ready to go. But even without Swift, who essentially hasn't had many carries the last two weeks either, as he's been battling injuries. But the Lions have a belief in being physical and running the ball. And, uh, you know, they'll do it. The thing about the Lions is they'll do it out of base. They'll do it out of three wide. So, that raises the question of how the Seahawks choose to play it uh, based on what we saw this week. But I think this week, this past week was different because Kyle Pitts is a little 
bit of a different animal, even though he's quote-unquote a tight end. You don't always treat him as such. Big thanks to Two Beers and Seattle Cider. Two Beers and Seattle Cider for bringing us great Cosell. It is a fresh hop season with uh, Seattle Cider and Two Beers, so make sure you check that out at the Woods Tasting Room. Okay, let me... um Let's get to that the, the the Lions defense for a second, or Lions offense for a second okay. against the Seattle defense. We know their top receiver is not playing Amon Ross St. Brown, and it sounds like DeAndre Swift is also not going to play. But they do have a pretty good backup in Jamal Williams. Do. How how do you think things change, or do they at all with that without those two players? Well, I don't think philosophically they change. They're go- they're a team that believes in being physical and running. They're actually we'll get to their defense too, but this is an aggressive team. They're not an easy out. They're, they're, they're a team that really takes it to you on both sides of the ball. They believe in a physical run game. Jamal Williams is that kind of back. I remember watching him coming out of BYU. He was a volume runner there, gained a ton of yards, and a lot of people thought he'd be a good NFL back, maybe not a quote-unquote foundation back for 16, 17 games. But you can line him up short term, and he can carry the ball 20 times, as he did a week ago. Um and, you know, they, they run both zone and gap scheme concepts. Their O-line has really emerged. They've had some injuries, and the backups have played well. And both their tackles, left tackle Decker and right tackle Pinay Sewell, who was not very good a year ago, has really played well through three games this year. So, you know, this is a strong, big offensive line. It's a team that does want to run the ball. Uh, they use play action. They throw it effectively. Look, Jared Goff's been sacked three times in three games. And Jared Goff is not a guy who makes people miss and moves around. So, you know, and teams have blitzed to some degree. Uh, they they blitz Goff on about 30% of his dropbacks. So th- they've done uh, a really good job in pass protection. As we said, they believe in the run game. Um, and they want to be balanced. Uh, you know, that, that's one of those phrases a lot of people use, and you almost have to define it for each team because uh, balance is a relative term. But the point is, is they do want to run the ball. They are not a just drop back and throw a team. Greg Cosell joining us. Um, we've talked a lot about Jared Goff to wrap up this side of things for a second when he was with the Rams. You and I spent a lot yeah. of days, a lot of Fridays talking about Jared. A lot of Jared. Fridays, yeah. A lot of, there were some throws he can and can't make. Maybe just refresh our memory there because, oh. you know. Goff, you know, Goff is a, is a pocket quarterback with a pretty motion and, and, and throws the ball well. Um, he needs the offense to work and to protect him. And by that, I mean he needs, number one, to be secure in the pocket. He needs, number two, a play-action pass game. Because what the play-action pass game does is most people automatically think second-level defenders, you know, linebackers attack the line of scrimmage. The other thing a play-action pass game does, particularly with outside zone, is it makes the initial response of the defensive line lateral rather than vertical. So when they move laterally, that's a beat or two where they're not rushing upfield, you know, rushing the quarterback. And, you know, he was very effective in uh, with the Rams doing that. He's been effective with the Lions. Um so, you know, and, and the thing is, is they will get physical. They, they have snaps where they play with six offensive linemen and three wide receivers. So that's not automatically a running deal just because they have six offensive linemen. So they know how important protection is for Jared Goff. Greg Cosell with me. All right, other side of the football. Seattle's offense, you know, Geno had a statistically really good game last week against the Falcons. Yeah. I still look at it and – I'll oversimplify. That's why we have you on. I'll let you expand. They've scored three second-half points all year, Greg. 
Yeah, I know. Three second half points. Yeah. So I, that's great that you put up numbers. I know you only had three possessions. And the other thing is, is that, you know, we like to bang on Russell Wilson here. Our friend Kevin is going to go hang out with him now. But, um, you know, I, I, the thing with, with that is Russ could still find a way maybe to win a game, even if he's struggling the rest of the game. Geno hasn't proven that yet. What have you seen from that Seattle offense? Yeah, and I don't think Geno is that kind of player. I think Geno is a quarterback that needs, in some ways, he's like Goff. Now, Geno has more movement ability than Goff and can make second reaction plays, but I think Geno at his core is a guy that needs the offense to work for him as opposed to him making the offense. I think overall he's thrown the ball well this year. I thought they did some good things this past week. I thought he looked firm in the pocket. I thought he delivered with confidence. I thought they did a good job at times with the use of personnel and formation deployment. I thought they had some really good situational play calling, the third and one, the fourth and two. I thought they did some good things. Um, I still think they need to get Metcalf and Lockett more involved. And when I say more involved, I, I understand that that's – you know, it's not a rip of the coaching staff, but I think the ball needs to be thrown more to Metcalf and Lockett. However, they choose to do that. You know, that's obviously up to the staff. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, the only thing that I don't know, but I can surmise based on watching the tape is that they believe that Gino needs help because it's not really a highly detailed, highly nuanced passing game right now. Now, whether it gets there, that remains to be seen, Ian. But I think right now they've kept it fairly basic. And by the way, that's no knock on Geno. There's a lot of teams that have good passing games that are not, you know, doing a lot of things, that they keep things pretty basic and they execute them at a very high level. Um, but, you know, I think when you have Metcalf and you have Lockett, they need to be more foundations of what you do. And again, that's always easy for me to say, and it's easy for me to sit here with a clicker, but I think that somewhere along the line has to happen. Yeah, Geno Smith, four touchdown passes this season. Three of those four have gone to tight ends, two to Disley. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well. Um, all right. What are we seeing in the in the Lions defense? Yeah. We'll wrap it up with this. I mean, statistically speaking, 32nd in terms of points allowed, last in the league, 25th in terms of pass defense, yards per game, 27th rush defense, and 28th in total defense. Those are all yards allowed per game. What do you see on that uh, on that Lions yeah, and, defense? And, and I think I don't want to say the numbers are misleading because the numbers are the numbers and we've played three games, but I don't think they're an easy defense to play against. They're very aggressive. They blitz. They play man. They, they've had some issues in the secondary. They're trying to work through that. Um, they have the first round pick from a few years ago, Okuda, who's now healthy and playing well. Um, uh, Aurorie, the other corner, has been very up and down, and he missed week two, but he's been struggling a lot. They just lost one of their safeties, Tracy Walker, for the season, I believe, with an Achilles, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue. So the back end has been a little bit of an issue. But I think when it comes to, you know, tactical approach, Ian, they blitz. They have multiple front looks. Uh, they have pressure looks. They're, they're, they're not easy to play against. And and that's the point I'm trying to make. Now, does that not mean you can't score? You know, like, for instance, this is a week where I would love to see Metcalf and Lockett involved because they're going to get one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the outside. That's going to happen in this game because of the way the Lions pressure. So you'd like to be able to take advantage of that. My friend, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Next week, we talk about the New Orleans Saints and the Seattle Seahawks as we uh, – 
get into the month of October, believe it or not, already. I so, know. It's crazy. It is, indeed. Crazy. Uh, Greg, thank you so much. That's Greg Cosell. Uh, every week, big thanks to Two Beers Seattle Cider. Again, Two Beers at the Woods Tasting Room right now. They have the Fresh Hop on tap. One of the first in the state is sensational. I tried it last week. Get on down there. Pumpkin Spice Cider as well is on, is on tap, and you can buy it in your local grocery stores. Check it out all at Two Beers and Seattle Cider at the Woods Tasting Room.